45-year-old Kathleen McLean seemed to have it all. After two failed marriages, in 2017, Kathleen met the man of her dreams, a brilliant surgeon named Ingolf Turk. Ingolf was smart. He was also tall and handsome and a Harley-Davidson rider. And he was a former star athlete who adored Kathleen and her children. They made a striking couple. Tall, red-headed Kathleen and Ingolf, 58 years old, the handsome doctor with the big blue eyes. After a whirlwind romance, Kathleen, Ingolf, his two sons, and her three children moved into a four-bedroom colonial on Valley Road in the Boston suburb of Dover, Massachusetts. They tied the knot in Las Vegas in December 2019, 11 days before Christmas. In May 2020, just five months after getting married, Kathleen and Ingolf both disappeared. Police found Kathleen's body in a nearby pond. She was naked from the waist up, and her white yoga pants had been weighed down with rocks. I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Red Collar. It was actually Kathleen's ex-husband, Stephen Rocca, who called 911 on Friday, May 14th, to report Kathleen missing. He told police that the last place Kathleen had been seen alive was at 29 Valley Road, in the home she shared with Ingolf on Thursday night. Stephen said that friends and family had not been able to contact Kathleen since Thursday. He knew that she was in a volatile marriage, and he was worried. So state troopers came to the house at 29 Valley Road. Police made sure that Kathleen's kids, who she shared with Stephen, were safe. And then Stephen took them home. Then police went inside the house and looked around. They found Kathleen's purse and her cell phone, but no sign of Kathleen. When they went upstairs, they noticed that the master bedroom door was locked. So they forced it open and saw signs of a struggle. They saw broken glass all over the floor. So at this point, they suspected that they could be looking at a crime scene. Police called all of Kathleen's friends, but no one had heard from her. But some of them had heard from Ingolf. At around 4.30 a.m. on Friday, one of Kathleen's friends and her husband got a strange text message from Ingolf. It read, quote, I'm sorry, brother, but she is a vindictive devil. She played us all. I am really sorry, brother, but she manipulated us all. Love you, Harry, end quote. Now, Harry is the nickname that Ingolf used, and they believed that he must be referring to Kathleen. They were alarmed. They knew that the couple's relationship had been spiraling out of control for months. Kathleen had been confiding in her neighbors. She had told them that she was afraid of her husband, and also told them to call police if anything happened to her. Police found Kathleen's car. It was actually Ingolf's Jeep, the one that he let Kathleen drive. It was parked outside the Residence Inn Motel in the nearby neighborhood of Dedham. Ingolf's silver Mercedes G-Wagon was there too. They wondered, was Kathleen holed up in there with Ingolf? Police knocked on the door and got no answer. So they got a key from motel staff 
and were able to access the room. They found Ingolf inside. He was lying in bed, unconscious and unresponsive. Paramedics rushed to the scene, and they revived him with Narcan, a prescription name for Naxalone, which is a nasal spray that can be used to block the effect of opioids. It's often used in cases of suspected overdose. Police found a syringe nearby, and they weren't sure what kind of drug, if any, Ingolf had injected himself with. According to a police report, Ingolf had a room booked from May 8th to May 17th. They would have to wait for answers because Ingolf would not wake up for another 24 hours. They took him to the hospital and they noticed that he had some superficial cuts on his arms and legs and his forehead. They believe that this may be consistent with walking through heavy brush or the woods, according to police documents. Police kept looking for Kathleen. They wondered if Ingolf had done something to her, maybe even killed her, and if the scratches on his body could have happened when he took her body to a wooded area. Ingolf regained consciousness on Saturday, and when he woke up handcuffed to a hospital bed, he claimed that he couldn't remember anything and that he had no idea where Kathleen was. So police started talking to friends and family members, hoping to fill in the blanks. They quickly found out that Kathleen and Ingolf's brief marriage, and in fact, their entire two and a half year relationship, had been marked with vicious episodes of domestic violence. So who was Ingolf, the star surgeon? Now, some red collar criminals invent their entire resumes, but Ingolf didn't start out as a fraud. He built a reputation as a skilled surgeon with impeccable credentials, at least in the beginning. Ingolf was originally from Germany. He went to medical school in Berlin and graduated in 1989. After that, he trained at the Charité Hospital in Berlin. While he was there, according to media reports, he established one of the world's leading laparoscopic programs in urology, meaning that he operated using a laser and robots, which meant that the procedures were minimally invasive. As a young doctor, his colleagues seemed to look at him as a rock star. He actually did help develop several breakthroughs in the field of urology. According to Boston Magazine, the former chair of urology who trained Ingolf remembered him as a master of the craft and described the time that Ingolf was able to repair an artery that was bleeding out, presumably saving the patient's life. Once it was over, the whole operating room started clapping. In 2001, Ingolf moved to Virginia. At that time, he was married to his first wife. I can't find much information about his life during this period, but I'm sure that his first two wives have a lot of information and their own stories to tell. In December 2002, Ingolf joined the Institute of Urology at Leahy Clinic. Over the next few years, he and his first wife divorced, and he met and married his second wife, in 2008, Ingolf became chief of urology at Stewart St. Elizabeth's Medical Center. He was also a professor of urology at Tufts University School of Medicine. And during his time at St. Elizabeth's, he became the literal poster boy for prominent surgeon. He was running the robotic surgery program and performing seven to 800 procedures a year. The hospital seemed to love him. In the description on the website, He's still listed as a speaker at a seminar in Jackson Hole in 2022. 
In the description on that website, he's listed as an MD and a PhD and described as a world-renowned laparoscopic and robotic urologic surgeon who is responsible for pioneering several techniques in the world of robotic surgery. He had been divorced from his second wife for about a year when he met Kathleen online in 2017. And according to friends and family, when Kathleen met Ingolf, she thought she had finally found the man of her dreams. Kathleen was a master Reiki. She operated her own massage therapy business called Birth Tree Energy Healing. Some of her friends described her as psychic or a medium. Like Ingolf, Kathleen was a healer, which was something that she thought they had in common. According to her LinkedIn page, Kathleen taught workshops that help people nourish mind, body, and soul. Reiki is kind of an alternative therapy that's commonly referred to as energy healing. It started in Japan sometime in the 1800s, and it's meant to use techniques to stimulate the body's natural healing process. It's supposed to involve a transfer of energy between the practitioner's palms and their patient. It's sometimes referred to as palm healing or hands-on healing. It's somewhat controversial because there's no proof that energy fields exist. And according to a lot of critics, there's no real scientific way to measure its effectiveness. But a lot of people who use this technique swear by it. It's seen as a complementary therapy, much like massage. Small studies have shown that Reiki can slightly reduce pain, but there haven't been any conclusive studies that show that it is effective at treating disease. Still, some hospitals in the U.S. and in Europe have started using it. But whatever anyone's belief system, one thing everyone agreed on was that Kathleen was a deeply empathetic and caring person. She was intuitive and seemed to have a way of helping people work through their pain. Kathleen fell for Ingolf hard. He took her for long rides on his Harley Davidson and fun nights out. He talked about his athletic prowess. In fact, he told Kathleen that he had been an alternate member on the East German decathlon team at the 1980 Moscow Olympics. Ingolf also bragged about his accomplishments on social media. In one video that was posted to YouTube in March 2012 by Stewart Healthcare, Ingolf talks about his surgical prowess. The video opens with Ingolf roaring up to the hospital on a motorcycle. Dr. Ingolf Turk is not your typical surgeon. At six foot three with an athletic physique, it's easy to see why he was once a member of the German Olympic decathlon team. It's a strange ad because it's meant to describe Ingolf's specialized surgical technique, but in parts, it kind of has the vibe of an online dating ad. Ingolf is shown riding an exercise bike and talking about how physically demanding surgeries are. Therefore, it's required that he's in pristine physical condition himself. During the entire interview where he talks about how robotic surgery leads to better outcomes for patients, he's wearing a Harley Davidson cap. Still, the motorcycle riding super surgeon seemed like a catch. According to Boston Magazine, Kathleen, who had also been divorced twice before, found herself caught up in the whirlwind romance. After just four months, Ingolf proposed. (music) 
Kathleen and Ingolf moved in together. Kathleen, her kids, Ingolf, and his two sons into a new home at 29 Valley Road, a $1.7 million, four-bedroom, 5,380-square-foot colonial with a gym in the basement and an indoor pool. Ingolf and Kathleen reportedly made an agreement. Kathleen would sell her house and car and pay Ingolf $1,000 per month, which would go toward the mortgage and toward renovations on the house. In return, he would let her drive his Jeep and let her see her clients at home if she wanted so she wouldn't have to put any more money towards renting a studio. Now, Kathleen's money did end up going towards renovations on the house and buying new items, even though the house remained in Ingolf's name. Later, this would turn into a major point of contention. Still, the neighbors seemed to love Kathleen and Ingolf. It's always nice to have a doctor around to ask for advice, and Kathleen seemed like the perfect mom. She even baked cookies for her neighbors. They had seven kids and a dog, a Labrador Retriever. They seemed to be the picture-perfect blended family. By all accounts, the seven of them lived together as a happy family unit, at least at first. According to an article in Boston Magazine, which is an excellent, in-depth profile of this investigation, Ingolf did normal things on the weekend, like putter around the house and mow the lawn. The article described the lawn as perfectly manicured. They looked like the Brady Bunch, but under the surface, their home life was more like the movie Sleeping with the Enemy. Some of the couple's neighbors told Boston Magazine that they had witnessed Ingolf pulling shelves out and making Kathleen put everything back together again because she didn't do it perfectly the first time. As a surgeon, Ingolf was able to maintain absolute control in the operating room, and he seemed to bring this tendency and need for control home. He was a wealthy and powerful man who seemed to adore Kathleen, but in private, he had a jealous, obsessive, and very controlling side. He actually used an app in Kathleen's phone to track her. Police say that he would also regularly ask her who had called her. He would demand details. At times, he would make her print out her whole contact list and call everyone on it. Friends have said that she had a jealous side too and would check up on Ingolf. It definitely seemed to be a volatile mix, but Ingolf was the one who got physically violent. And over time, the abuse got worse. Once, she told the police, her husband asked her to print out all of her incoming and outgoing calls. Then he dialed every number and talked to every single person to verify who they were. According to news reports, Ingolf started monitoring Kathleen's weight as well. Things began to drastically change even more in 2019, when Ingolf's world started to fall apart. He stopped seeing patients and told Kathleen that he had taken a leave of absence from work. She told friends that she found him crying at home. Kathleen was worried. She did her best to support her husband. At first, she chalked his depression up to job stress, but she started to realize that something much more serious was going on. She suspected that Ingolf was hiding something, a dark secret. He had a safe, one that she wasn't ever allowed to access. And one day, she opened it. And that's when she saw the secret papers he had been hiding. She came across something else, a ton of documents talking about a massive malpractice lawsuit. Now, doctors do get hit with malpractice lawsuits from time to time. It's one of the downsides of the job, but this was serious. 
the Massachusetts Attorney General's office was alleging that Ingolf had committed fraud and charged Medicare more than $31,000 over a six-year period. The Attorney General claimed that Ingolf's medical residents were the ones seeing patients, and then he would claim to have seen them himself. They also alleged that he billed for services that he never performed. It's around this time that Kathleen started talking to her friends and neighbors more and telling them that she was afraid. She felt like she was living with a stranger. In November 2019, the case was settled. Ingolf agreed to pay $150,000 to resolve allegations that he caused improper billings to MassHealth of over $31,000. According to a statement released by the Attorney General's office, Ingolf also agreed to, quote, implement a multi-year compliance program at his own expense if he continues to practice medicine in Massachusetts after 2019, end quote. The Attorney General's office also alleged that Ingolf instructed his residents and fellows to document the use of ultrasound probes during kidney removals, even when the ultrasound probes had never actually been done. It seemed that Ingolf harbored some hope that after paying back the money, he could somehow go back to his normal practice and work things out at the hospital. But according to the hospital's parent company, the Steward Medical Group, Ingolf was officially terminated in February 2020. After he was let go from the hospital, things got even worse at home. Steward Medical Group, which operates St. Elizabeth's Hospital, told The Globe that at that point, Ingolf hadn't seen patients in over a year. His attorney made a statement to the Boston Globe saying that Ingolf, quote, has long had a reputation as an extraordinary physician and surgeon, end quote. But this wasn't a denial. The attorney general's statement also read, quote, false billing is a serious issue that hurts people in need of health care. It is important that all doctors follow the law and our office will aggressively pursue those who overbill our health care system, end quote. Kathleen told family and friends that after a while, Ingolf started drinking during the day and eventually stopped leaving the house entirely. He seemed to be getting more and more angry and paranoid and more and more possessive, and the physical abuse was increasing. In December 2019, Ingolf attacked Kathleen. It happened when they were in bed. They got into an argument, things escalated, and he ended up slamming her against a headboard and choking her until she almost lost consciousness, according to a Dover police report. Weeks later, he surprised her with a marriage license. Some part of Kathleen was probably happy. Ingolf was apologetic. He said he loved her. He wanted to make things right. And it seemed as though he was finally making good on his proposal. They went to Las Vegas and tied the knot on December 14th in a drive through wedding chapel service during their impromptu vacation. But once they got home, Ingolf's attacks on Kathleen continued. Ingolf allegedly smacked her head against the headboard and then started choking her with one hand and covering her nose and mouth with the other. She told the police later that she thought she was going to die and everything went black. Afterwards, Ingolf broke down, told Kathleen that he loved her and apologized, according to the police report. Like many people caught up in a cycle of domestic violence, this often happened after their fights. He would attack her, he would apologize. Sometimes they would have sex and they would reconcile. Each time, Ingolf promised to change. 
I'm bringing this up because I learned something from this case, something that I hope could be helpful to other domestic violence victims. Boston Magazine wrote that, quote, non-fatal strangulation is one of the most reliable warning signs that domestic violence may escalate to murder, end quote. Just a few days after he almost choked her to death, Kathleen and Ingolf were married. Kathleen may have hoped that this spontaneous and romantic Las Vegas wedding would improve her husband's mood, but things at home kept getting worse. On January 11th, after she came home from a massage, Ingolf flew into a rage and turned on Kathleen. This time, he picked her up and threw her. Afterwards, Ingolf tried to downplay the incident. He said he was just embracing her and she slipped. She had fallen, he said. He hadn't thrown her down. Then there was Super Bowl Sunday, the night that would change everything. Kathleen would later tell police that the couple had company over to watch the game. At some point during the day, Ingolf overheard her telling a guest that she wasn't sure how long she would be able to stay in this marriage. So he waited until after everyone left. Then he called his son downstairs. When Kathleen sat in his lap, kind of joking around, he pushed her onto the floor. He told her that he was king of the castle and she was just a guest. Another time, he actually cut off a lock of Kathleen's hair. When she tried to stop him, she ended up cutting her hand on the scissors. The next day, Kathleen went to the police. She told them that she was terrified of Ingolf. She talked about all of the abuse. She said that he kept several guns in a safe and that once when they were arguing, she heard beeping noises which she believed were him pressing the buttons on the safe to open it. She didn't actually see him pull out a gun, but what she heard was terrifying. But Kathleen may have been afraid that no one would believe her, and she may have had very good reasons for feeling that way. Dr. Ingolf Turk's patients raved about him. Not only was he a brilliant surgeon, they said, but he truly cared. One patient said in the YouTube video posted by Steward Stories that Ingolf made me feel like I was his only patient. On the outside, Ingolf was a master at keeping up appearances. Just a few days after he was arrested and charged with strangulation, he was quoted in a story in Boston University News Service about the primary elections. The story described him as Harry Turk and said that he grew up in East Berlin before the wall fell. He was smoking cigars at a back room in New Hampshire and chatting with friends about the dangers of socialism. He certainly conveyed confidence, not a man at his breaking point. The caption read, quote, Harry Turk, who grew up in East Berlin, laughs about the political climate and the Democratic candidates visiting New Hampshire for the primaries as he takes shelter in the warmth of Castro's backroom, end quote. He told the paper, we're non-judgmental. We accept any way of political orientation and during this period of time, after Kathleen talked to the police, Ingolf did something that was truly diabolical. He put on a suit, went to the police station, and calmly told the authorities that he was afraid of Kathleen. He basically said that Kathleen was crazy and said that he was terrified that she may make false accusations against him that could ruin his career. Still, Kathleen got her restraining order 
and after the restraining order was issued, Ingolf did leave the house. Kathleen seemed to be trying to make a new start. She posted pictures on social media of a for sale sign outside the house. Friends and family noticed that during this time, Ingolf wasn't in any of her pictures. But her friends and family say that he continued to torment her from afar. He seemed to be doing everything that he could to disrupt her life, like canceling the bottled water service and then having the company come and pick up all of the water, even the bottles that had been paid for. Court documents show that he also attempted to seize the Jeep, which Kathleen depended on at this point because this was the car that Ingolf was letting her drive. Like a lot of doctors, Ingolf liked keeping the house cold. And at some point, Kathleen said Ingolf remotely accessed the Nest thermostat, which operates using Wi-Fi. He turned the heat way down, making the house unbearably cold. Then he locked Kathleen out of her own temperature control system and refused to give her the password. On February 6th, Ingolf was arrested and arraigned in Dedham District Court for violating the restraining order. He was also charged with assault and battery on a household member, two counts of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, and one count of strangulation, suffocation. Police cited corroborating evidence from Kathleen's text messages. She had texted friends about the time he allegedly attacked her with a pair of scissors in front of her son, and the time she alleged that he threw her on the floor. So hard, she said, that her shoes flew off. Ingolf pleaded not guilty. He was supposed to return to court on March 4th, but due to COVID, the hearing was postponed. In addition to telling friends and neighbors what was going on, Kathleen reached out to members of the media. According to reports in the Dover Sherborne Press, Kathleen called a reporter there in March and told them that the system was failing her and that she was terrified of her husband. At some point, Kathleen seemed to start questioning everything. The Boston Globe did too. They started asking questions about Ingolf's longtime claim that he was an alternate member of East Germany's 1980 decathlon team. This claim was repeated with pride in the St. Elizabeth Medical Center ad. Kathleen reportedly told a friend that this wasn't true. The Globe said they contacted former team members who said that they did not remember Ingolf. Ingolf went to probate court and a judge ruled that he could put the house on the market. Kathleen was devastated. She was worried about where she and the children would go. By this point, COVID lockdowns had started happening all over the country. Kathleen was telling everyone how afraid she was. She talked to family, friends, neighbors, and even the press. But tragically, she was about to find herself, once again, trapped inside with her abuser. Then, one of the neighbors who she had told to watch out for her saw her by the mailbox and was shocked when she told them that she and Ingolf had gotten back together. This was after sending a text that said, I thought honestly, he wanted me dead. Kathleen probably had a lot of mixed feelings at this point. Like so many domestic violence victims, she was probably terrified of where she would go. Ingolf had already shown that he was willing to go to great lengths to keep inserting himself into her life. She worried that no one would believe her, and she probably was also worried that he might lose his medical license. I'm sure she felt guilt about that, even though clearly at this point, she was terrified. She said that she and Ingolf had agreed to go to couples therapy together, and that Ingolf had promised her that he would get therapy on his own as well. 
As part of the reconciliation, Kathleen asked Norfolk County prosecutors to drop the conditions that kept Ingolf away from home. But the assistant district attorney refused to do it. But then she asked to remove the restraining order, so it seems that the ADA's hands were tied. Kathleen asked that the restraining order be removed so that Ingolf could come home. A court affidavit read, quote, I feel safe and would like to bring my family back together with my husband. My goal is to salvage our family, including reuniting with my husband as father and stepfather to my children, end quote. Now, remember that the house had always been in Ingolf's name. But after Ingolf and Kathleen got back together, sometime around April, he added her name to the title deed. Ingolf officially came back home on May 13th. That night, he and Kathleen hung out with the kids, everyone all together, once again, as a happy family. Ingolf and Kathleen had a few drinks, but at some point, an argument started. Ingolf had promised to change, but they were arguing about the same things as before. Probably people they called or texted, infidelity. They started shouting, and they went upstairs to try and conceal the argument from the kids. The only person who knows what happened next in that bedroom is Ingolf. By Saturday, 24 hours after waking up and claiming that he had no idea where his wife was, Ingolf started talking to police. That's when he admitted that he had strangled Kathleen. Police say the story he told them was that he and Kathleen were drinking. He said after they went upstairs and the argument escalated, Kathleen hit him in the head with what he believed was a glass. The police report refers to them by the nicknames they called each other. Ingolf was Harry, Kathleen was Katie. The report reads, quote, Harry stated that he reacted to that aggressive situation and choked Katie. Harry explained that Katie was fighting at first and he continued to choke her. Harry stated that Katie then passed out and he realized he went too far, end quote. After realizing that Kathleen was dead, Ingolf said that he had panicked and realized that he needed to get rid of the body. According to the report, Ingolf said he carried Kathleen's body to her vehicle. He drove her to a house nearby that he knew was vacant, went to the pond out back, and dumped her in the water. Apparently, at some point, he thought about the fact that he may have to weigh the body down to conceal Kathleen's remains. He told the police that he may have put a rock on top of her. Ingolf gave police detailed directions to the pond where he had dumped Kathleen's body. They sent out a state police dive team and were able to recover her remains. The autopsy revealed that Kathleen's injuries were brutal. She had a fractured neck bone, bleeding from both eyes, bruises on her neck, and also bruises on her scalp and her brain. The cause of death was determined to be strangulation and the manner homicide. Ingolf said that after killing Kathleen, he went to the motel. His plan seemed to be to take his own life. Through his attorney, Ingolf pleaded not guilty and was ordered held without bail at the Norfolk County Jail. Authorities referred to this as another tragic story of domestic abuse that seemed to escalate during COVID. Unbeknownst to the neighbors, a nightmare scenario was unfolding behind closed doors. Ingolf's attorney has a different story. He stated that it was Kathleen who was scamming Ingolf. 
insisting that she had put the restraining order on Ingolf to force him to put her name on the title to the house. Ingolf has pleaded not guilty and is due to go to trial in 2021. I think about this case a lot because doctors occupy this unique position of trust in our society. We're so helpless when we go into surgery, we're unconscious, and we're putting our lives in their hands. Ingolf had been getting away with stealing money, lying to patients, and abusing women for a long time. He had choked Kathleen just a few months earlier. Basically, he'd done a practice run of her murder. Experts say that since the pandemic began, calls to domestic violence hotlines are down by about 50%, which experts say doesn't mean that the abuse has stopped. It's just that the victims can no longer find a safe time to call. So I find myself wondering, how many other domestic violence victims like Kathleen are out there living in a full-time prison with their abusers? Kathleen's friends and family continue to wait for answers and for justice. Red Collar is an AudioChuck original podcast. Research and writing by me, Katherine Townsend, with production assistance from Alyssa Gostola and Resonate Recordings. You can find all of our source material for this episode on our website, redcollarpodcast.com. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? <laughs>